in the B2B space and in any business, our ability to truly connect and anticipate the gaps in the lives of the people that we serve is imperative. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Funnel podcast. I have today someone that I am so blown away that she's on this podcast. It's one of those things, right? Like, I mean, there are people who you aspire and just follow and troll almost. And that's kind of what I do We're here. And I first saw Molly, Molly Fletcher, uh, speaking at LeaderCast, which is one of the biggest conference. I think it's the largest conference, one day leadership conference. And I was just blown away. And I feel like her lessons, her life journey is for everyone who's listening in marketing, sales, leadership. It's going to be phenomenal. She's known as the female Jerry Maguire by CNN, which, uh, which you'll hear shortly as to why. And then she talks about big stakes, big egos, and, and things that we all are surrounded by every day. And quite candidly, we ourselves have that and, and we have to navigate around it. So uh, Molly, who's a CEO, keynote speaker, phenomenal, phenomenal person. Molly, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's so good to be with you. I'm a big fan of your show too. Thank you so much, Molly. So share a little bit about your journey as you, as you talk about it. But before we jump into it, let's share a fun fact about yourself. A fun fact about myself. Let's see. I lived rent-free for nine years when I got out of college in exchange for teaching tennis one night a week at an apartment complex. And for that, they count my rent and negotiated that deal, which was pretty helpful when you're trying to get into the sports marketing space. But, so that's a, that's a pretty fun fact. I remember you sharing that at LeaderCast, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And there are so many details around that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went up there, and there wasn't anybody. Then you went the next day, and you got bought the racket. And you just, I mean, there's just so much to learn from that. For As, as an entrepreneur myself, I feel that was an entrepreneurial story. Well, you know, it, it's a story that I tell a lot when I speak about you know, asking for what you want, you know, sometimes I know you have a lot of salespeople listening, you know, how do you sometimes act like you have the business before you have the business and behave in a way that sends a message to the people that you want to work with that, you know, you matter to me. So it, it, yeah, so that it's a fun story to share. And so when you say a fun fact that that would be one. Awesome. So share your journey a little bit for people who happen to not know you, which might be a couple of people on the, on the thing, but happen to not know you share a little bit about your journey. Well, I started in the sports marketing space. I got down to Atlanta. I grew up in Michigan, moved to Atlanta to get into the sports marketing space and negotiated this deal for this free rent deal in, in exchange for teaching tennis. And that gave me a little bit more time to find, uh, you know, maybe the right job in sports. So fast forward, you know, doing a couple different things. I worked for the Super Bowl host committee. I had a couple different sort of spaces and sports jobs and sports that I that I worked in. In a couple of years, I finally networked and, and, and got into the office of an agent in Atlanta, a sports agency in Atlanta, a small firm. And and I started there. I started doing endorsement and appearance deals. And then I saw a gap and an opportunity to go recruit athletes and coaches and sort of said to the CEO, how are we growing? And he said, well, we're referrals. And I said, well, what if we got more aggressive and went and recruited, you know, baseball guys down at Georgia Tech and PGA Tour players and, and young guys coming out of the University of Georgia that we're going to go out on tour and, you know, NBA coaches, college coaches, et cetera. So he fortunately said, go for it. 
And, you know, fast forward 18 years, I recruited almost 300 guys, negotiated lots and lots of multi-million dollar contracts for the athletes, coaches, broadcasters that we worked with. And then I wrote two books while I was still an agent and started to see that they were helping people and connecting to people in a way that was different because the connection between sports and business is pretty powerful. The connection between sports and performance and how we in business can use that as powerful. And in the Asian business, as you know, and as many people know, it's very relationship centric. And I believe most of our business it lives and the business that we do in life should be and can be more relationally focused. And so, you know, fast forward to two books out, really feeling sort of called to speak more. And I was being called on to speak. And I felt a calling to go do more of that. I felt like it was making a difference. It was impacting people's lives in a positive way. So I jumped and started my own business, started speaking. We do negotiation training now all over the world. We have coaches that deliver a one-day negotiation program in offices and, and, and in-house programs all over, the, all over the country. And so it's been an incredible journey. I'm grateful for it. I have four books out and you know we'll train almost 2,000 people this year and, and continue to grow and make a bigger impact there too. That is so fascinating for a couple of reasons, Molly. One, I being in a B2B space, I know a lot of sales training people and all of them are probably just run out of their sales environment, right? And they have this traditional view of everything. And, and I feel very little is connected to what actually the business of the world is. And I think you bring in almost a completely fresh perspective to a lot of these conversations because you haven't been in the traditional run-of-the-mill B2B marketing and sales organization. How, how has that experience been for you? Well, what I've seen is that relationships drive our success and our ability to connect with people, not just communicate, matters. And I think that a lot of times people communicate, but they don't connect. And I saw that so much as an agent. And, you know, I think it's about asking the difficult questions in the moments that sometimes we think, oh, maybe that problem or that issue went away. Ask those questions and try, try to connect. I, I tell a lot of stories in my keynotes about the athletes and the coaches that I've worked with over the years and mistakes that I made when maybe I didn't connect as well as I could have and how maybe that could have saved an athlete or a coach from a from a mishap, but that the more that I connected, the more that I communicated, the more that I anticipated their needs, the more that I anticipated key moments in their lives, the more that I could serve them even better. So, you know, in the B2B space and in any business, our ability to truly connect and anticipate the gaps in the lives of the people that we serve is imperative. I hear, I totally, totally hear that. Can you share a couple of stories of negotiation in, that you have seen and you kind of explain how to go about it. Just, just share because you've done yeah, so yeah. those ones. Well, one story that comes up for me is I, I was negotiating with a general manager of a baseball team once and, you know, and we've all negotiated and you mentioned that uh, early on the show, you know, big egos, tough people to connect with at times. And, you know, this particular gentleman was really difficult and what, and, and I was just having a hard time. I just felt like we were missing each other. Um, and we were trying to find a really big veteran baseball player, but we kept sort of missing each other. And I, 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 it was very difficult. It was very challenging. It was frustrating. It was all those things. And I think everybody listening has been in those moments where they've been negotiating with somebody who they think is a jerk. And, and what I, what I think is really, he was just different from me. He wasn't necessarily difficult as much as I thought he was difficult. He probably thought I was too. So one of the things that we uh, believe and that we've taught is that people show up at the negotiation table four different ways. They're either logistical, they're strategic, they're relational, or they're financial. And what I realized with this general manager is that he was 
very, very financially focused. That was, that was really the bottom line for him was where he was at with his payroll, with his entire team, how much he wanted to spend on this guy, what that meant he still had left sort of in, in, in his budget to spend, et cetera. And so, and, and I was coming at it from a more strategic and relational perspective. And so what we teach people is how do you show up with the kind of information that matters most to the people that you're negotiating with? And how do you sometimes adapt so that you can show up in a way that delivers the, the things that matter most to them while being who you authentically are too. I've, I've never tried to be a guy. I never tried to be somebody that I wasn't. Certainly we teach a real relational approach to the process because to me, negotiation is a conversation. It's a difficult one, but it's a conversation. And so the more that we can connect inside of that conversation, the better we do. And you know, so our, you know, people leave, you know, understanding how to connect and, and the better the relationship oftentimes, right, the, 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 the more quickly you'll execute a deal. And so if we can reduce the sales cycle and the close rate inside of organizations, we're making a difference. So, so that, that's sort of one example. You know, the other, the other story that comes up for me is I was negotiating a baseball player's contract and we were right before arbitration. And, you know, I never liked to take out to arbitration because it never felt like we, we, we'd had success because now we had to put the athlete in a room with three strangers, yeah. submit a number on our side, the team submits a number and gosh, you know, n- now it's sort of all or nothing. And, you know, it, so I was, we were in the ninth inning, we were waking up the next day to go to Scottsdale to, to, to go to arbitration. And, and the phone rings at 11 o'clock. We've been negotiating for four months and the general manager called and he said, Molly, he said, I called my buddy at Delta. This is a little bit before the security is where it's at. He said, and you're on that airplane. You guys are going. I can't believe it. I thought you guys were going to fold. Mm. And he said, you're still where you are. And I said, yeah, man, we, we really are. And I just stopped talking. And, and I think what I actually said was, yes, we believe it's fair or it's fair. And I just stopped talking and paused. And I remember it was 11 o'clock at night. My husband sort of laying there and about a minute and a half of nobody saying anything. He goes, fine, you got a deal. <laughs> and I remember my husband going, say something, you know, but the pause is a powerful thing. And that's one of the things we teach is, is, is you know, how do you build such great relationships with the people that you're negotiating with that you can, you can hold that pause and they're not going to walk away. And the, and the relationship isn't going to be, impacted in a significant way because you've already laid the foundation before that pause. So now you can pause, you can throw that big question over that statement or that, and, and, and just hold it and pause. And it's a powerful thing. So there's two quick ones. I've got a doubt and you can imagine. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think in that pause is also, you know, someone who also loves to speak and, and that's something that I enjoy doing as well. I think Pause is such a powerful thing, even when you're command, especially even more when you're talking to thousands of people on a stage. And I always had this feeling that I need to have filler words to keep filling this dead space in it. And the more I realized to stop saying, um, or the more I <laughs> stop, I think the better it actually gets. So I, I think it, there's a, but I never thought about this in a sales negotiation. That is powerful. Well, you know what's amazing that we're finding, and we just launched our negotiation training program 16 months ago, and it's just hit the ground running and our ratings are so high because I think we approach it in a way that's so different from the way that a lot of people do. And what we find is that what's amazing is inside of a lot of sales training, people aren't being taught how to negotiate. They're being taught how to sell, but are they really being taught how to navigate the intricacies of the conversation that's specific to the deal? 
Mm. So to me, that's a powerful, you know, it's a powerful tool. Absolutely. Could you share one, maybe another tool that comes to mind? Because this is a soft skill that people can develop. People can harness, people can practice it today. Almost, I would say people should just create a big uh, plank in front of them and just say, pause, breathe, or something like that. So <laughs> for it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we, one of the tools that we teach is called an Ewok, which a lot of people think is a Star Wars character, but, it, but it's not. It, it, it's, a, it's a preparation tool that people learn in our program and then leave with. And because one of the mistakes I think people make when they negotiate is they think that there's, let's say, six sort of areas that are negotiable inside of of a deal or particular deal. And what we have consistently found is that there may be missing opportunity, that they are missing opportunities to negotiate. So we do this inside of organizations all the time. And they'll, let's say a, a group of sales guys will, or gals will identify six things that are negotiable traditionally. And, and we get them around a table and we facilitate a conversation and they'll, they'll bubble up 25, 26, 28 things that, that are actually negotiable. And obviously the more you prepare for a conversation, probably the more success you'll have. So this tool teaches people how to prepare effectively for negotiation. And so the E is everything that's in play. You know, the W stands for what do you want? You know, sometimes it's amazing inside of negotiations, people aren't always crystal clear on what success looks like. What do they want? And, you know, the O is for options. I mean, I think that oftentimes we've got to know in our back pocket, what am I willing to let go of? You know, if I was negotiating a an athlete's contract, I, I knew that maybe here was some room on the bonuses that I might let go of, for example. And then the C stands for what are you willing to concede, right? What can you let go of? But the options are, people love to feel like they have a choice. So when you can provide them with options, like, so we could do this or we could do this. Now that, now that now they feel like they've got a little bit of a, you know, control in sort of this process, which is always makes all of us feel good. So the Ewok is a really powerful preparation tool. And there's a lot of these free resources on our website, by the way, for folks. Yeah. Oh, what's this? MollyFletcher.com? You know, MollyFletcher.com or GameChanger360.com is the actual website for our negotiation training. Gotcha. Well, we'll make sure that it's in the show notes up there. So, oh my goodness, like, uh, look at the the amount of notes I have. That's awesome. We we, we could just go on forever, but uh, I want to keep focused as we try to do for our our listeners is like 20, 25 minutes high impact. And I think you gave more than more than that. So let me try to summarize maybe two or three big ideas. And Molly, we'd love for you to share a challenge for all the leaders who are listening who are who probably avoid negotiating. It's a hard thing. They almost would rather not do it or rather have somebody else do it than they themselves. I'm, I'm a sucker for that. I I I'm like. Just take it away and just, just keep, you know, trying to be happy, trying to make everybody happy, but it's not a good thing. So there's a lesson here that yeah. I conversation, but here are a couple of big ideas. So one, number big one that I wrote down was that people are not necessarily difficult. They're different. And I did That's not right. think through that until you kind of talked about this as an example. I have this, like, I'm sure I'm a difficult person for some people, but maybe of course, I definitely feel there are certain people I feel they're very difficult and I completely avoid them, but maybe they're just different. And we need to invest and figure out the time if you really care about them and care about the relationship to figure out why they're different, what matters to them and communicate at that level, as you said, the connection at those levels. And I'll add there that, that there's also, you know, we show up a certain way too. And knowing how we show up is important as well obviously. And so we actually have a free assessment on our website people can check out 
gamechanger360.com that they can take that quick assessment. It takes less than five minutes and figure out are they more financial, strategic, relational, logistical. That's pretty cool too. That is really, really good. And those, those four are definitely top of mind. And then this, this whole big idea that I feel I need to work on and I hope everybody kind of really takes home is this idea of like pause because it has confidence. It shows that you really believe totally. in something and we just don't do that. Like I just did. I just said, and, and like, you know, just keep adding to it. And sometimes it's like, yep, that's, uh, that's where I am. And pause. Yeah. It's so powerful. So I, I think you just reminded me of something that, uh, that I do. And here's, here's what I typically do. These are like my ideas of people that have given me ideas after interviewing. So for example, Andy Stanley, who you have interviewed and have been our, he said something once, Hey, what would a, what would a great blank do? So I have written that in here because it pretty much in every difficult conversation, I would just use that phrase from him and just put the name of the person or the relationship. What would a great co-founder do if I'm in a bad co-founder conversation? What would a great leader do? Or what would a gay husband do in a situation or great father do? And it completely disassociates you from the current situation and says, well, if that's the best thing to do, then I should do that. So just for wow, that, I like that. Yeah. So I'm going to add in here. I've never done this before. Pause as a big idea in here because nice. you made me think about that so much. So again, so many other things we'll add in the show notes, but what, what's the one challenge you want to share with everybody, Molly? You know, I, I would challenge people to, to do two things. One is to recognize that negotiation is all around us, that it's everywhere. It's, you know, a lot of times people think of negotiation in a traditional sense, that it's just about money. And I think it's about, you know, negotiating where we put our time, where we put our energy, uh, negotiating resources internally in our organizations. All those things are negotiable. And so what I challenge people to do is to practice more. The more that we practice anything, and I know this, of course, from my athletes, the better we get, typically, if we're practicing it well. And so what I would challenge people to do is to practice asking for what they want um, in, in a way that drives connection. And, you know, I mean, you can do this at Starbucks, you know, trying to get a deal on something. I mean, just practice asking for what you want, negotiating. And, and I'm certainly not suggesting for people to be you know, sort of pigs out there. But what I'm saying is that the more you can practice negotiating time, energy, resources, the better you'll get. Yeah. So, so I think one way to think about it is try to do one a day for the next 30 days and see if your confidence lifts and your awareness around the opportunities to negotiate lifts and all of those little, little moments that we practice negotiating on things that maybe are quote unquote unimportant per se, then we get better at negotiating the things that are important. I love that. I'm going to date you up on that challenge and I'll report back to you. Awesome. Because I, I need to, I need to do a better job at this. Molly, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, being on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for what you do. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.